When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome back, Tiger fans, to Rockham Nation's football podcast. I'm Nate Edwards. That's Brandon BK Kylie. This is Before the Box Score. It is Wednesday, September 22nd. It is Boston College Week. Uh, Tigers head east to Chestnut Hill to take on the Fighting Eagles of Boston College, the Jesuits. Uh, BK, how are you feeling this week? This is actually a legitimately fun week on the schedule, so I'm looking forward to this one. How are you doing? Good. Apprehensive, but good. Always wary. Again, I am like the most nervous uh, Mizzou fan in the world. Uh, hesitant. Let me put it that way. Guarded. Because Mizzou has never given you any reason to be hesitant or guarded. You're right. Never. That's, you're right. You're right. But, um, yeah, we are we are cruising to uh, another Power 5 road game, which Missouri has had mixed results in over the past 20 years. So it'll be really interesting to see how Drinkwitz and his boys are ready to go on Saturday. Yet yet another 11 o'clock kickoff. I think we are cursed to be kicking off at 11 o'clock all year, which, you know, frankly, I'm fine with. Uh, I I don't mind. It's great for us. I know for fans it's not great, but for us it's wonderful (laughs) as media people. It really is. It really is. I know the tailgating is not as great. You got to get breakfast tacos or you got to get a good, a good hash instead of, you know, brats or, pizza or, or you know burgers or whatever you do or you could also just say f it it's football season i'm gonna have a brat for breakfast like you can do hmm. these things you can have uh you can smash a couple jaegers for breakfast i don't care this is america hey, Nate, it's it's yeah it's it's less about the food more about the the time to drink i'm yeah. just gonna go ahead and uh throw that one in there <laughs> yeah drink a clock you know you figure it out it's okay uh i'll tell you i mean you can get creative with this sort of thing. In cold weather, you get some boozy hot chocolate. That's perfect. In the morning, throw it in your coffee. Get a little up and down, you know? I'm not I'm not here to judge. You only get six of these. Uh, 12, 12 games for the year, six home games a year. Like, it's just make, make do. You can, true champions will figure out how to consume their alcohol no matter when they, the game yeah. kicks off, okay? That's, that's the heart of the champion here. But we will get into Boston College and all the assorted 11 a.m. kickoffs in the near future of this show. We want to start off like we normally do with some, oh, that's right, thoughts. Uh, little things and nuggets that we might have thought of after we hit stopped uh, recording last time or maybe as we watched the game three or four times afterwards. A little bit of nuggets here and there, some stray observations. BK, did anything kind of come to you in the middle of the night after mulling over the SEMO the victory? So I think the biggest thing that I was 
maybe not surprised by, but something that came up afterwards, and we talked about it a little bit on the podcast uh, Saturday night. There were some people that were a little worried about Missouri's defense giving up 28 points to SEMO. I just once again want to reiterate, that was the third unit that gave up the points to SEMO, really. It was the fourth quarter when most of that happened against the defense. And that is not something that should be surprising to anybody. We knew this team wasn't very deep coming into the season. It was one of the issues last year down the stretch. They ran out of a bunch of their starters. They had to play from their depth. And suddenly they didn't look like nearly as good of a football team as a result. So it's not surprising that Missouri is not very deep. Those are a lot of the guys that they're trying to develop right now. Or frankly, a lot of the guys that probably aren't going to be here two years from now. So what you saw in the third and fourth quarters is a reminder of what's to come for Eli Drinkwitz and why the recruiting matters. But I am not worried about the defense because of that, but because of giving up 21 points in the second or 21 points in the fourth quarter. I'm worried about the defense because not very good, but (laughs) I'm not worried about the defense specifically because they gave up a bunch of points in the second half against SEMO. That that's not what's going to do it for me. Yeah. Garbage time definitions. If you go off of, SP plus I think FPI does the same, a very similar thing. Garbage time is anytime a team is up 38 points in the second quarter, 28 points in the third quarter or 22 points in the fourth quarter. And just so happened that most of this game was operating in garbage time, which is fine. Um, So it doesn't really affect them from an advanced statistical standpoint. It certainly shouldn't cloud your judgment for this team overall. We're not trotting out Will Norris to start at the inside linebacking spot. Huh? Right. We're not having uh, DJ Jackson be the starting lockdown corner. These they were in there to get that experience. They were in there to get, you know, run on for 175 yards to go. Yeah, this is what you need to work on so you can see the field. That's all good. That's fine. There's nothing wrong with your third string giving up that many points. Maybe you point to the previous three instances when Missouri has played SEMO and they didn't give up a touchdown. Okay, so what? That 2015 team was terrible. They're terrible, and they gave up three points. That doesn't mean anything. Just because your third string is, you know, stopped a touchdown and six years ago doesn't mean that this team is worse than that. It's just that's just not how football works. This is there's a lot of young talent on this team, untested talent, and some of them are four star guys, some of them are two star guys, two and three star guys. So everyone's development is a little bit different. And it just so happens that the development of the young guys right now is not where it should be. That's okay. So, no, I am with you. you if you're concerned about the defense, you're concerned about what Central Michigan and Kentucky did to you, not SEMO, exactly. because it doesn't mean anything. Exactly, yeah. There there are legit concerns to be had. I mean, listen, I'm not trying to tell you that if you're worried about this defense giving up 35-plus against Boston College on the ground, like, hey, there, there are plenty of concerns, buddy, to be worried about this defense. I promise you that. Mm-hmm. The concerns, though, do not come from what we saw in the second half against SEMO. Uh, the other thing is I want to see more of J.J. Hester, man. Yeah. Uh, I, I know I know it was against SEMO, and I know that's the way that a, a speedy wide receiver on the outside is supposed to look against SEMO. But he looked that way and he was Mm -hmm. awesome and he had a 65 yard touchdown and I would like to see him getting more opportunities. I know they like what they have in some of their outside guys right now. They like the idea of Mookie Cooper, but honestly, something that I wouldn't mind seeing them do. What about trying Dominic Lovett in the slot for a little while? 
putting J.J. Hester, giving him some opportunities on the outside and going with a trio for a, a little bit. It doesn't have to be every snap by any stretch. It doesn't even have to be the majority of snaps, but going with Chisholm, Hester, and Lovett out there at the same time and you're 11 personnel, so one tight end, one, one running back. When, when you've got that out there, I'd like to see those three guys on the field at once. I think it could have some results that are interesting. Um, the other guy that I would like to see more of moving forward is Chance Looper in the slot. Mm-hmm. He he looked pretty darn good. And again, I know this is SEMO. And so I'm going to I'm going to tamp down any excitement to like if it was a 10, keep it at like a five based on <laughs> what we saw and the, who the opponent was. But there were things that happened in that game that were meaningful. And those guys deserve some more opportunities when they really make good on the ones that they got in, in that situation. So those were two guys that really showed out that impressed me that I would like to see a little more of. The other thing that I would say uh, Michael Cox, that dude is interesting. <laughs> and Jeez, yeah. I I know that we kind of made fun of it and we were like, oh, a, a walk on getting reps above Taj Butts. That doesn't make any sense. It does. I get it now. Um, <laughs> I, I understand it. He's huge. He mm. runs really hard. He's got a little more speed than I was anticipating. Honestly, that dude's going to be on scholarship uh, probably at some point, maybe next year. And I am interested to see what that looks like in the future, because he is the body type that they don't have a whole lot of. And in short yardage situations, for example, Tyler Beatty's probably not the guy that you're handing the ball to in like a fourth and one spot. Michael Cox might be. So I'm interested to see what he ends up doing down the stretch for this team. And he he provides a different body type that they do not otherwise have getting meaningful snaps for them at running back. Let me, let me address these in reverse order. Just sure. I'm thinking of it. As far as Michael Cox, yeah. If this is if this is your big back and, and Taj Butts can't do it, yeah, bring him out. I'm fine. Uh, I'd like Butts to get some rotation. I'd like him to improve, but that's not on me. That's on him. I'm to the fourth down. How interesting would it be if you come out in two back set, Cox and Beatty in the backfield? Cox can be your your read. You either hand it off for the short yardage, or and or Beatty kind of squirts out into the flat, and you got either the read up the middle for Cox or a quick pass to Beatty on the edge like that. I'm not an offensive coordinator, but that seems like um, sexy danger right there. <laughs> I think that that's a, that's a very menacing, uh, a menacing formation. And I'd love to see something like that because they do complement each other very well, you know? Um, so I, I, I think that is really interesting as far as receivers go. Kiki Chisholm is the most targeted receiver over three games, 20 targets, 10 catches. Not great, but okay, rusty. If you say subbed out Towski Dove's targets for JJ Hester's targets, I'd be good with that. If you say wanted to give Mookie Cooper a day off and, and put Chance Looper in there instead, I'm all for it. I'm kind of thinking like if you can't be, if your receivers aren't super great at creating, creating space, they're not always the most reliable. That's kind of a nice trick to be the fastest guys on the field. <laughs> Maybe that's only true against like SEMO or some lower, lower class SEC teams. But if you just have fast dudes out there, someone's going to break free. Um, Chisholm is obviously going to be kind of leading the pack as far as snaps, as far as targets, because he is the super senior. He is the the proven commodity. But really, this Missouri passing game is already pretty egalitarian. You know, most guys don't get more than three or four targets per game, and like seven guys get targeted per game. So Bazelak and, and Drinkwitz are already willing to kind of spread the ball around. 
I would be okay. And this is nothing against Towski Dove. He's just getting a slow start. 13 targets, 7 catches, 87 yards. That's a, only a 53% a catch rate. I would be cool with J.J. Hester getting some of those targets. But BK, as you know, kind of sounds like he doesn't pl- practice very well. So I don't mm-hmm. know if the SEMO game is going to be enough to get him out there. Yeah, it might not be. And it that, that's that's fine. I get it. Um, And maybe he'll have to earn it in spring ball. And that's fine. But He's the he's the guy that stood out the most to me, probably. And a lot of that is because of priors. I came into this hoping to see him show out. So full mm-hmm. disclosure, I'm a fan of J.J. Hester's. I like his game. I like the style that he brings to the table. He's a slightly bigger body. He's longer. He's less of that slot receiver type. I think Dominic Lovett, and I could end up being wrong on this. There's plenty of short receivers that are, are great outside. But mm-hmm. I think his best spot is probably in the slot. Um, that that's just my assumption based on the way that he wins. I think he could be really good in there. And JJ Hester is more of your prototype on the outside, especially at the X slot on the backside, running those posts. Like he's the type of guy that is the prototype. So I like the idea of those guys kind of flipping roles, but that would also have to come at the expense of Mookie Cooper. And it doesn't mm-hmm. seem like this team's all that interested in not having Mookie Cooper out there in the slot all that much for better or worse. Yep. Um, Oh man, JJ Hester is the second tallest receiver on the roster. Mm-hmm. At 6'3. Huh. Yeah, he's got length and he can go up and get it. He's athletic. Like he everything that you want from an outside receiver, at least theoretically speaking, JJ Hester brings it to the table. He's mm-hmm. got all of those things, those those tricks in his bag. Like he's got all of that. But mm-hmm. he he apparently needs to practice better because we <laughs> saw the talent on display on Saturday, but now they need to see it Monday through Friday. Third tallest receiver, Michael Wilson. Former quarterback. Yeah. Yeah. And Chance Looper. I guess they're both 6'2". But, no, I mean, the the receivers are very much like the offensive linemen. You got a lot of guys who kind of provide the same thing, but none of them have really stood out. And until Mookie Mookie Cooper is 100% healthy, we're not really going to have someone stand out. So... I am I am fine with mixing and matching and rotating guys in and out. That I think that's okay. I think that's fine. You know, we talked about... uh, before the season even started about receivers just running their corner downfield, just wearing it out and then going off to the sideline and someone else comes in. Like I'm cool. If that's the situation, if, if that's how they want to manage it, there's a lot of interesting weapons here. Most of them are young. Um, so yeah, just, I would be cool with rotating them out. I really, I'm with you. I like to see JJ Hester get some more snaps in at the rotation. Cause he hasn't seen a lot of usage usually towards the end of the, of the game. And he's only been targeted twice. And that was both in the CMO game. So, um, we will see where it goes from there. As far as stray thoughts from from me, uh, just to reiterate, when when Missouri was in kill mode, which was mo- all of first quarter and most of second, CMO's success rate was 25%. Missouri's was 72%. Nothing to fear. You didn't see anything that was going to make you f- have long-term worries uh, about the Missouri Tigers after the, the CMO game. I was kind of surprised that the defense played so few snaps, the starting defense, I should say. None of them saw more than 30 snaps, um, which is good. You need to figure out, you know, the young defensive talent and maybe start working them in. But especially after Drinkwitz's comments during the week where he said that, you know, you got to practice to earn it. And, you know, a lot of guys aren't doing what they need to do. I kind of assumed we'd see the starting defense just kind of get right for two quarters and, and call it a day. And they were already cycling out, uh, you know, by the time really the third drive, third SEMO drive was was in there. They're already cycling out. So I think Drinkwitz and Steve Wilkes fully understand that 
hey, we got to find some other options here or we at least need to get these guys developed so that next year doesn't suck so bad. Um, but along those lines, BK, we found out this past week uh, or a couple a day ago that uh, Travian Ford, the other four-star defensive end talent that we brought in in the most recent recruiting class, uh, is dealing with an Achilles injury, which is terrible. It is very tough for anyone to move without, you know, a fully operational Achilles, let alone a young athletic guy. And so now you're sitting here and you're thinking, oh, well, it makes a lot more sense now that we haven't seen him on the field, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I don't know specifically what the injury is because there's different, there's different levels to an Achilles injury, right? It could have been Achilles tendonitis, which isn't as severe as a ruptured Achilles, but it can last a long time, man. I've had Achilles tendonitis before and it takes you out for a while. You just, and once you come back, you don't know if you're going to be at a hundred percent for the foreseeable future. So whether it be that or a sprain strain, what, whatever it was, any of these injuries, whenever you, you bring up the Achilles, it's always concerning so the fact that he has not been able to get on the field this year, it makes a lot more sense when you put it in those uh, those terms. Mm-hmm. It also, if you're a Mizzou fan and you are super concerned right now about the defensive ends, first of all, I get it. I'm with you. <laughs> Second of all, the hope at the defensive end position is really kind of tied up right now in a guy like Ford and in, I'm drawing a blank on his name right now, the guy from Indy, um, Dalen Carnell's. Ty Montgomery. Kai Montgomery. Why did I draw a blank on that? My apologies. <laughs> Kai Montgomery is the other one. So once they get those guys back at full health, hopefully next year, maybe we're talking 2023 when they're truly at peak form. That's where the hope really stands for this team at that position. But for the here and now, it all kind of goes back to Trajan Jeffco. They need him to play like an all SEC performer, which he was a year ago. And if he's not able to do that, well, the cavalry just isn't coming at that position. Yeah, not yet. I mean, keep in mind, we see Isaiah McGuire and Trajan Jeff go to the top. Johnny Walker Jr. has rotated in. Chris Turner is just always around. Um, and then Jatorian Hansford has seen very little usage, but has been rotated in. The Tigers are without Jonathan Jones and Kai Montgomery for the season. And Travian Ford is trying to play on whatever is happening to his Achilles. That is three guys that you signed in this past class that you expected to rotate in who are not able to rotate in oh also by the way just literally insult to injury your walk-on who got a scholarship last year canon york also gone for the season so you are left with daniel robledo a juco who just came in in the fall jatorian hansford arden walker chris turner johnny walker isaiah mcguire trajan jeffcoat that's it and guess who we've seen those six guys. Mm-hmm. So there ain't anybody else unless they take a linebacker and try to make him a, a very light, fast defensive end, which please don't. Um, yeah, the linebackers are, they already don't have linebackers. There's not any options. Like they, they no might answer. have tried that if they had anybody, yeah. they don't. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's no answer. So defensive end is just going to suck this year and the development's going to be a little bit behind um, as we head into next year. But okay, that's fine. We weren't, playing for sec championships this year we probably weren't playing for them next year this is all about acquisition of talent and development of talent win a couple games get to a couple bowl games that's what we're looking for so yes it sucks but it makes a lot more sense um yeah. 
credit to Traylon Ford for getting out there and getting through it. He he had a couple snaps on Saturday, uh, knowing now that his <laughs> he's in a, in a boatload of pain. Uh, that sucks, sir, and you have my respect. Yeah, and all things considered, for him to even be on the field right now, that's a win. So hopefully this is something that he's able to get through this year. He gets a full offseason to rehab it and to get himself to 100% and hopefully add some of that weight that we talked about before the year because he's a, he's a very slim defensive end right now. Um, if he's able to pack on in the strength and conditioning program, maybe 15, 20 pounds this offseason, and I know that sounds crazy, but welcome to life as a college football player. Um, <laughs> that's that's when you're starting to see something that could really help you next year. So Travion Ford, probably not a guy that's going to impact a whole lot of games this year, but when you get into this 2022 schedule that I know you wanted to break down, Nate Edwards, that is when we could see a little bit more of Ford impacting the game on the field. This schedule. No, no, I'm not ready yet. Here's what I want to talk about something happy first. Can we talk about a little bit of recruiting? We're going to talk a little bit about recruiting. We'll get to the 2022 schedule because I'm already, I'm still fuming at it. Um, yeah, you want to talk about reinforcements. Let's talk about Luther Burden because we know what the people want and we're going to deliver it. Let's talk Luther Burden a little bit. So we've got the final three officially, Missouri, Georgia, Alabama, kind of what we expected. Sucks to suck Oklahoma. Uh, sorry. You didn't make the final three after having the guy committed to your school for four months or however long it was. Um, that sucks, but neener, neener, poo, poo. We hate you. Um, hmm. We we made the final three cut, and he is going to announce. Uh, allegedly, he's going to announce his his uh, his commitment on October twentieth. What we didn't mention last time, what we forgot, was that literally the weekend before October twentieth, uh, Luther Burden's going to Georgia. So put whatever stock or whatever interpretation you want into that. Truth of the matter is that. The school that gets the last visit, maybe the last impression, physical, you know, in-person impression, is going to be Georgia right before he commits. Whatever you want to take that is, that's fine. Um, but it's not like Missouri coaches are just sitting on their heads and going, oh, well, that sucks. They are constantly in contact with this kid. He's been on campus a lot. Um, we are we are all very happy and hopeful that he selects Missouri. And I don't know how much an official visit three days before he commits is going to make a difference, but uh, that's the situation we're in. Yeah. I, I'm still hopeful about this, man. I, I'm ready to get kicked in the cojones. I understand that is very much a possibility. Like it, me, me allowing myself to be vulnerable here is, is not a place that I like to be in, but Luther Burden's one of the top players in the country for a reason. And if he commits to your school, like that changes the trajectory. And there's only so much you can do as a wide receiver. I totally get that. This is different than a quarterback committing to your school. Um, but Luther Burden is the type of talent that this team could really use on the outside right now. And if they're able to add him to the mix, the offense takes a, a looks totally different next year, man. Mm-hmm. That that is he's a dynamic athlete that when you've got Connor Bazelak at the helm and it's a quick trigger to him and he's going across the middle on a slant route, he could take that 60 yards for a touchdown on any slant that he's running. Uh, he had a down week last week, by the way. I know we're updating people as we go on some of the stats that he had. A little bit of a rough week for Luther Burden. Uh, only one touchdown in this one against Belleville East. 
unacceptable five catches for 45 yards and a touchdown yeah rough week for him finished with a 56 to nothing win according to max preps against belleville east so my assumption would be he was out of the game by the second quarter and that's why he ended up with five catches for 45 yards and a touchdown but a little bit of a down week for a guy he needs to get back going uh this week uh for east st louis luther baby take a knee come here come here come here you don't have to prove anything to us You've already done it. If he if he chooses to sit out the rest of the season, nothing would change. Nothing no. would change. Uh, but at the same time, it just fills me with so much joy to watch someone who's so good at something be so good around people who are not as good. That's it's just highly entertaining. Um, I love it. I love it. But if you're looking at this from a roster management standpoint, let's just review the wide receiver situation right now. At the end of this season, you for sure lose Kiki Chisholm and Micah Wilson. Okay, that's two. You could lose Barrett Bannister and Boo Smith. Whether we do or not, I don't know. My intuition is that they will both come back, but I don't know. You also might lose Towski Dove, or sorry, Toski Dove, uh, but based off of three games of what he's done so far, he's probably coming back. Then you have just a massive bulkhead of receivers in that 2025 graduating class. Mookie Cooper, JJ Hester, Dominic Lovett, Chance Looper, Jay Macklin. And then incoming, at least from verbal commitments go, Nikai Miller, Jamarian Wayne, both of those are borderline four-star guys, could very well become four-star receivers by the time the 2021 high school season is done. By the and, way, according yes. to all reports, the staff is really high on those two. And yes. I know sometimes people hear this and they're like rolling their eyes because they've heard it all before. I get it. I really do. Uh, apparently, they they would be happy with just those two as mm-hmm. their receiver commits next year because they're they're that thrilled to get them. Mm-hmm. And then, oh, by the way, we're maybe adding Luther Burden on top of that. That is a lot of receivers. That would be. Minus two plus three, maybe minus four plus three. But all of them are very, 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 very young. Some some flavor of freshmen right now. And then so uh, three freshmen and then a handful of redshirt freshmen slash sophomores. Um, so there's a lot of young talent that's going to be in this receiving room next year. And a lot of it's going to be very highly ranked. I am very excited for what that means two years after that. Um, but this is this is what we're looking at. Drinkwitz is trying to improve this the talent in the touchdown maker position, as he called him, and we have reminded people several times. Trying to get elite quarterback play, elite receiver play, and then elite defensive end and corner play. That is what he's targeting. That's the Clemson model. And God, if he lands Luther Burden, we are well on our way to to providing that blueprint to fruition. Yeah, that's that's the thing that they're going to need next year is a a legit threat on the outside. And Luther Burden is the guy that can bring that to their team. By the way, did you know that he's going to play against IMG Academy at the end of the year? East St. Louis on October 22nd is going up against IMG. Uh, That's that's going to be a really good one. And IMG is one of the best teams in the country. They're they're basically what was that school? Yeah. What was that school that ended up being fake that was on ESPN? Um, I forget what their name was, but um, they're that but real. Not St. Bonaventure. <laughs> that's a real school. I can't think of. Um, oh, Bishop, uh, Bishop Sycamore. 
Yes, Bishop Sycamore. They're Bishop Sycamore, but with like a real football program that gets exclusively four and five stars to play for them. But just so as that's much gonna be a lot of fun. Just as much C- school. Like they correct. They go to they, they are in football school. That's that's what that is. A hundred percent. They are majoring in football and God bless them for it. But um, that that is basically what they do at IMG Academy. And I'm super excited to find out what what Luther Burden is able to do against them, because that's the type of game where you, you really see him against pure uh, talent guys that are in a similar vein to him in terms of their recruiting prowess. So uh, that'll be a big one for him. And I, I can't wait to see what it looks like. And that is right around the time when he is expected to commit. So fingers crossed he's doing so as a Mizzou commit. I, so I'm, I'm going two days after he would commit. There you go. I, I, I know what IMG Academy is. I know what their deal is. I don't follow their games at all is this like a harlem globetrotter washington general kind of situation where they just blow everybody out or like do they does img actually lose games uh not typically but they do play a national schedule so this isn't like they're they're going up against um belleville east in a random game right They, they typically go up against some of the best teams in the country so it it's not as if they're winning games like 70 to zero. However, it, some of them get pretty bad. Um, they so the, their their schedule so far, 58, nothing, 58, 7, 58, 21. That was against Northwestern in Miami, which is a good football program. Mm-hmm. Um, 62 to three. And they they will play in Connecticut, Illinois, Alabama and Maryland in their next games coming up. So it's it, they, they truly play a national schedule. So East St. Louis, uh, the, the seniors on that team, Luther Burden is a five-star, uh, Toriano pride is four-star corner commit to Clemson. Uh, Allie Wells, I think is a senior. And then yeah, Allie Wells. And then Ahmad Robinson. Those are the seniors. There's also some four and five star kids for the 2023 class. Mm-hmm. I think Caden Green. A couple of offensive linemen. Yeah, offensive line. Their their offensive line is giants. Oh my god. Um, but but my point is is that this is going to be a, a collection of uh, some three, four, and five star kids going up against a team of four and five stars. Mm-hmm. That's either going to be like a really disappointing blowout or like a super interesting kind of a David Goliath situation where you have kind of a regional power punching way above its weight going against an all-star team. I, that is, I don't know how it's going to play out. It sounds like a lot of teams get their butts handed to them, but uh, uh, yeah, I'm really interested to see how the flyers do. Let me put it this way. IMG has seven, four stars in their next graduating class. Oh, is that um, it? seven of the top 41 players in the state of Florida play for IMG. And that's just for this upcoming class. Um, they also have 10 of the top 85 players in the state of Florida in this upcoming class. So yeah, they're, they're incredibly talented when you're looking at them from a top to bottom perspective. And these, these are the types of games when you really learn about people. So whether it be, if you're, if you're wanting to learn about Luther Burden, and I feel like we kind of know who he is as a player, but if you, if you were curious of what the peak could look like, that's the game where you're going to find out. Um, and their offensive line, Miles McVeigh is a guy that Mizzou is very interested in next year's class. You're going to be able to watch him in that game go up against legit talent on the defensive line for IMG. And that's that's where you'll find out a little bit more about what he can bring to the table early on in his time at Mizzou. 
They've got a couple of four-star outside linebackers. I would imagine they probably rush the passer. Mm -hmm. And they've got a three-star defensive end and a three-star defensive tackle. So you'll see them go up against legit talent that's going to uh, high major schools in that one. Yeah, I don't... I don't know how it's going to play out. I I don't know who East St. Louis's quarterback is. I know he's not Tyler Macon. Yeah, he's um, their weakness right now. Basically, from, from what I've seen, seen, Luther Burden bails him out of a lot of poor decisions. Uh, so I'm gonna my money's gonna be on IMG, but I, I'd love for the Flyers to pull it out. Like, love to see the local team do it. That'd be awesome. So uh, we will we will see what happens. <sighs> We've danced around it long enough, BK. Can we talk about the 2022 schedule? If you want to, man, if that's your prerogative, we we can go ahead and do whatever you'd like, Nate. This is this is the podcast where we can get all of our feelings out. I'm not going to dance around it. I hate it. Um, I hate the schedule. I hate the schedule. So if you'll allow me, allow me a moment to just kind of read it off and then rant for about a minute. Please. Um, if you haven't heard, the 2022 Missouri football schedule was released last night. Missouri will open open at Middle Tennessee. They will then follow that up with another road trip to our old foes, Kansas State. They will come home the following week to play Abilene Christian, a perennial FCS playoff team. They then hit the road once again to play Auburn for the first time since 2017. They will be that went at went well, though. It did. Things were lit on fire after that. It went really well. Um, we then are, are given a little bit of a, a breather after the Auburn road trip by seeing, Oh my God, Georgia comes to Columbia on October 1st. And then on October 8th, literally the next week, Missouri goes to Florida. Then you get the bye week on the 15th. You Thank get, God. You get Vanderbilt at home. After that, you go on the road to Columbia East. After that, then you get to welcome Kentucky, go to Tennessee get a week off by playing New Mexico State on November 19th before the Black Friday blowout of Arkansas at home. I'm just going to, again, cry, rant, throw things for about a minute here. This schedule sucks. And I'm not talking about the non-con. We've known for a while that we had to go to Middle Tennessee, we had to go to Kansas State, we had New Mexico State on the schedule. I don't care too much about that. I kind of figured one of those would get moved or canceled, but they didn't. Okay, whatever. I don't care. That's not the thing that bothers me. The thing that actually bothers me is that Missouri will start the season. Start the season. The first six games of the season, four of them will be on the road. And not only that, but your home games an Abilene Christian team who has taken down FBS teams before and Georgia, which is perennially, perennially the best team in the country. And you are front loading that schedule at Auburn, Georgia at home at Florida for a team that's building, that's building on momentum and getting better folks. This could be a top 25 Missouri team and you'd have no idea because at its best, at the best case scenario, Missouri gets out of this first six games three and three. And then we get into deer season when the fans stop coming. Okay. And if you're at three and three halfway through the season, you have lost a good chunk of momentum. The fans will not be interested. The casual fans are like, oh, well, we suck again. And here we are trying to rebuild the team and gain momentum. And we get handed 
this turd sandwich of a schedule that would derail even top 15, 20 teams. <sighs> Fiend. So, a couple of things. First of all, good rant. Um, fair rant. Second of all, I hate the at Middle Tennessee game so much. Mm-hmm. So much. Mm-hmm. To open up that way is just brutal. Um, Middle Tennessee historically has been a, a really solid football program. Um, that is not the type of team. And by the way, I know they're down this year, comparatively speaking. Mm-hmm. But typically, that's a pretty solid program. That's not a game that I'm all that interested in. I'm legitimately surprised that they didn't buy out of that game. Mm-hmm. So that way they didn't have to go to Middle Tennessee. A team like Mizzou just shouldn't have to play that game. I know they were in a contract with it, so it is what it is. But that's not a game I like seeing Mizzou play. K-State is a really good program right now they are incredibly well coached hey what does missouri do poorly right now defensively nate (laughs) stop the run what does k-state do really well offensively right now nate they run the effing ball yeah so that ain't great um they beat stanford earlier this year 24 to 7 in a game that looked like a bill snyder coach football team Mm -hmm. If you remember what K-State looked like under Snyder, that's basically what they did to beat the bleep out of Stanford. So that's not ideal. Abilene Christian, whatever. It is what it is. I don't love the game, but that's a game that you're typically going to play. So whatever. The thing that sucks is the next three games. Mm -hmm. To have to have Auburn at Auburn, Georgia at home, and at Florida in the three consecutive games after a tough start in the non-con, that's brutal, man. You're likely going to finish 0-3 in in those games. The chances are, I mean, maybe you would beat K-State, but they're a little ahead of you in terms of their program building because they've had an extra year under their new head coach. That's a tough one for me to say. I would imagine Mizzou's going to be an underdog in that game. Mm-hmm. The likelihood is Mizzou starts the year 2-4, and four and their wins are against Middle Tennessee and Abilene Christian, and they might not be as impressive wins in terms of the margin of victory as a lot of Missouri fans would like to see. Then you're off. And the rest of your schedule, people have lost interest. And it looks a lot like a Barry Odom schedule where you start out poor and you get down the stretch, you get hot late and everybody say, yeah, but who did you beat? Mm -hmm. That's the fear with a schedule like this is you end up, you beat Vandy, you beat South Carolina, you beat New Mexico State, you beat Arkansas. And everybody says, yeah, but you were supposed to win all of those games. And you finish the year seven and six and it's ho-hum. Let's go into 2023 and see how it goes. The schedule stinks. It does allow for some potential upsets. I mean, maybe they do (laughs) go to Florida and you get a win the way that Drinkwitz did last year with LSU at home. And Florida has a little bit of a down downward uh, game in that or downward trajectory next year. That's possible. Um, It's just it's tough. It's not the type of schedule that you would want to see if you're a Missouri fan. No, no. Barry Odom was the thing that came into my mind last night almost immediately, but it's also the thing I'm not allowed to talk about on Twitter. So I didn't say it. Um, but yeah, I, 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 I don't know. The Kansas- schedule is also mostly Barry Odom's making, by the way. Of course it is. This was during the Barry Odom era when the, these schedules were, were basically constructed because that's how we do things in college football, even though it's idiotic and stupid and unbelievable that we do it that way. Mm-hmm. Kansas State is basically North Dakota State right now. And yeah. no one wants to play North Dakota State because they're really freaking good. Kansas State does the same thing. Did you like playing Wyoming? I know I didn't. <laughs> Fully weaponized Wyoming is no fun, and that's exactly what Kansas State's going to be. Um, 
yeah, you're hoping Middle Tennessee that they have a regime change. Maybe they do. It sounds like Rick Stockstill's not on the best terms right now. Um, so when they played in 2016, their quarterback um, was his son. And he hired him as an offensive coordinator this past offseason without any interview process and without running it by the administration. He just hired him and said he was his offensive coordinator now. Mm, so the, the sweet smell of nepotism. Just... Mm, scrumptrulescent uh so i know he's in a little bit of hot water right now he is also like the only football coach they've had so i don't know if it's going to cost him his job or not but we're all rooting for that you'd really want uh, a nice staff turnover to make that game a little bit easier um but there there is just there's nothing easy about this just flat out you pull auburn from the west arkansas is looking like dynamite right now you know new mexico state yeah cool south carolina is still building vanderbilt to bad but tennessee is looking actually pretty good i've been impressed so far especially once they switched joe milton for Hinton hooker and florida's probably gonna be starting anthony richardson who is baby tebow georgia's gonna probably not have jt daniels anymore but they'll have another five-star quarterback to back to throw in there and in auburn under brian harson brian harson's a, a super smart coach he's not a very smart human being um but you know <laughs> Eli Drinkwitz learned Weird a lot. Weird offseason, good season for Brian Hart. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> so Drinkwitz knows that Boise Auburn offense because he he learned he came up under it. But Auburn's been a tough team this year. Just again, a fourth of the schedule through, they have been a tough out. And playing at Jordan Hare is no fun. There's just there are no breaks. And when you are a young team and you're building towards something, you need to keep that buy-in. You need to have like, hey, here is where we are progressing. Here is how you can tangibly see that we are getting better. There are only so many moral victories you can earn without the fans and the players going, what, what the heck are we doing here? Um, and, and it's not all going to be three point losses. There's going to be some blowouts in there because let's face it. When you're building like Missouri is you're prone to getting blown out by elite teams, which is what this schedule is chock full of. Add in a couple of stumbles where you're not supposed to be maybe an upset here or there. It's just going to be a wholly mediocre season. So if Drinkwitz goes five and five, let's say he goes seven and six this year and goes seven and six, God willing, the year after that, where are fans mentally at that point? Where are we at that point? I know you and I are probably going to still be on board with him, but we're not everybody. We're not everybody else. I don't know what the administration is going to feel like. I don't know what the fan participation turnout is going to look like. And you need to be building towards something. I just... Closing strong is good. Don't get me wrong, but it's going to be a very wind out of the sails kind of season if if they can't get at least three of these games at the beginning. Okay, let let me let me add a little bit of fuel back to the fire because I we got a little little pessimistic here. A little pessimistic. Nate came out. Negative Nate came out a little bit there. Um, <laughs> and so here's where I will say I think that you're not going to lose a lot, too many fans next year. Right now, you have the 25th ranked recruiting class for 2022. Last year, if you're looking back to that, it was one of the best recruiting classes we've ever seen at the University of Missouri. They finished 20th. 2023 has the potential to be another great season for Missouri when it comes to recruiting. In-state, there's a lot of talent, especially on the offensive line. I, if the last two years is any indication, Eli Drinkwood's going to close on some of those guys. It'll probably be yet another top 25 class. So three straight years of top 25 classes for Mizzou. 
if they are able to get Luther Burden and you add him to this mix and you have some exciting young talent that's coming in that shows out, maybe Marquise Gracio, for example, Mm -hmm. is a great player right away. He comes in, he's starting for Mizzou and he's making plays along the defensive line. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't, I don't know that Isaac Thompson is going to be able to play next year because he had a pretty traumatic injury oh, geez, recently. By yeah. the way, prayers up for that dude. It it sounds I, based on what's been reporting, and I don't, I did not see the play. I do not know. I have not seen the medical records, obviously, but with the injuries that have been reported, it sounds Henry Josie esque. So I hope everything's okay. Um, but there are some dudes in next year's class that could see the field right away from Mizzou. If those guys are making plays down the stretch and you get into the back end of the 2022 schedule, I, I think that gets fans back on board for 2023. So mm-hmm. I, I think that's that's the thing that will do it is Barry Odom. It was too many of the weird losses. Like If they lost to Middle Tennessee on the road, <laughs> that sucks the wind out of your sails. Mm-hmm. If they get blown out by K-State. That's a different conversation entirely. Or if Abilene Christian comes into Columbia and beats Mizzou. Okay, that's a problem. But if you're competitive, at least against Auburn or Florida, and you play well and you give a little bit of hope against Georgia, and then you win most of the games down the stretch against Vandy, South Carolina, Kentucky, Tennessee, New Mexico, and Arkansas, I think fans will be on board after that, especially if they're watching Luther Burden go out there and go for 125 yards and a touchdown against most of those teams. So there's reasons for optimism. It's just not going to be in the traditional, hey, they went nine and three. That's awesome. Can't wait to watch it type of optimism. I mean, all of this, you know, we're not even through the 2021 season. I know. So there's there's a lot of projection, a lot of Nate, negative Nate projection on this. I know. I know. I just also know, I know Mizzou fans. And sometimes it just feels like they're just looking for one single excuse to check out and not have to pay attention sometimes. By the way, all of this is TBD. What if Texas and Oklahoma are in the conference next year? Exactly. If that is something that happens, this whole thing has to get reworked. So obviously the non-con stays will probably stay or else the SEC is going to have to pony up the cash to buy to help us buy those out. Um, but assume that the non-con stays the same. And then that means that your conference opponents are going to be a little bit different. So that is your saving grace. I am oddly hoping that Texas and Oklahoma do jump on just to shake this up a little bit. It's not going to make anything easier. You still got to play all the tough teams, but it will at least be something different. And this first draft, I'm, I'm, I'm no, I'm sending it back. I, <laughs> I do not like, um, so we'll, we'll see what happens. And, and that's TBD. I have not heard anything about Texas and Oklahoma actually jumping early. Everyone's talking about it. Like it's going to happen. I don't know when that's going to happen. I don't know what the deadline for something like that to happen. Like how soon or how late can it be where this, you know, the schedule gets changed. I mean, last I year it was week of, and they were making up games on the fly. Like BYU played coastal Carolina with like four days notice. If they want to come in June, I bet you they find a way to make it happen in June. Look, if you're suggesting that college football learns anything from <laughs> anything, uh, I got a bridge to sell you. But at the same time, the SEC is, that would be a monetary boon. They, you're right. They would find a way to make that money. So that's a good point. Anyway, we will see. We still have this season to get through. 2022 is literally a year away. Uh, at least the football schedule portion of 2022 is a year away. And along the 2021 lines, we had a game this week against Boston College. I put up the preview uh, today at rockymnation.com. 
BK, I did a little bit of homework. I know you you're you've written a piece about how these non-conference games, these Power Five non-conference games, how how important they can be and how defining of a season they can be. Do you know how many true road games Missouri has had against Power Five competition? So here's the question that I would have as a as a response to that. Are we including Illinois and Arkansas in those? We are not. No. Okay. So if we're not including those, I want to say it, it's it's less than 10 and more than five. I think it's between those because I was surprised at how few there were, were actually. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it is power five, power five teams in a true road game against power five teams. Missouri has played six of those games. Okay. Six. Do you want to take a guess at what their record is in those games? I was also impressed by how well they've done in them. I know there was one against Clemson that went really poorly about 20 years ago. Um, <laughs> that was 21 years ago, so that one does not count. Okay. Um, I think it's like four and two. Close. Three and three. Okay. Three and three. Now, if you want to add in the bowl games, which I don't because those are neutral sites, but Missouri's six and six in bowl games in the past 20 years. So... Three and three true road games against power five competition, six and six in bowl games. I think it might be a little bit difficult to play non-conference power five teams. I think that's that's the, the general gist I'm getting from this this exercise here. So here we are heading out to Chestnut Hill, Massachusetts in Boston, going up, going up against a really good Boston College Eagles team. Um, they are let's see, they are 58th, I want to say, in SP plus. Their offense is really good. Their defense is really good. They they lost their backup. They lost their quarterback. I know they did. Um, but yeah, their offense is 21st, actually, and their defense is 85th. So this is going to be a tough test. It is East Coast. It's an early kick on the East Coast. It's a young team that Missouri is fielding right now. They're not very deep. Boston College is very, very old. Most of their starters are seniors or juniors. And keep in mind, this is with the the eligibility clock stopped. So they're even older than that. Uh, this is, this is a seasoned team. Again, they have a walk-on backup quarterback, but this is a, this is a team that's played a lot of games together and they've done really well. They've only played, however, Colgate, Massachusetts, and Temple. Now, I don't know if you know anything about those teams, but a, they're located in the Northeast. B Colgate is the 101st best FCS team. That's bad. UMass is 128th in the FBS and Temple, their best, their toughest team to date is currently 103rd in SP plus. So what we're doing here is we're banking on the fact that the 53rd ranked Missouri Tigers are just a shock to the system. And despite all of their success, which is opponent adjusted, so it's legit, despite all of their success, they are get a little splash of cold water, a little wake up call when an SEC team comes and, you know, actually gives them a fight. And that's kind of what we're banking on here. This is a team that does everything that I don't want a team to do against Missouri. And that's what makes me concerned about this matchup, Nate, is they have a really good running game. They've got a solid offensive line and they've got a backup quarterback, which we've never mm -hmm. seen hurt Missouri <laughs> before. <laughs> um, yeah. It's it's that concoction that just as a Missouri fan, I need to take some pep Pepto's Bismol for because it gives me a little bit of an upset stomach. I hate these types of games, man, because if Missouri wins this one against Boston College, the response is going to be, 
Well, yeah, Missouri beat Boston College. Of course, Boston College hadn't played anybody. They're going to get the brakes beat off of them next week when they travel to Clemson. That's going to go poorly for BC. Um, and then they're probably going to finish the year, what, six and six, seven and five, maybe mm, something like yeah, that. Yeah. And we're going to look back on it. We're going to say, oh, yeah, Missouri beat BC. If Missouri beats Boston College, that is a good win for Missouri. Full stop. That is a quality victory for this team at this point in its rebuild process. You're going on the road against a team that you have zero experience against in an environment where I can tell you this, Boston College fans are excited about this game, man. Um, they're going to go into this one thinking, hey, we got a chance to beat an SEC opponent. And that's a big win for Boston College. They've got a coach that they're kind of buying into. They've got a program that they're buying into right now. This is a big game for them. So if Missouri goes in there and beats them, that is a good win. And they need to go in there and beat them because this is one of the swingiest swing games of all swing <laughs> games on Missouri's swingy schedule. And so if you win it, you're three and one. You've got some winnable games coming up for you. And you've got that momentum back on your side. If you lose it, you're two and two. And you're staring at some of these games. You're saying to yourself, okay, Texas A&M, that's probably a loss. That's three. Georgia, okay, probably a loss. That's four. Florida, okay, let's be honest, probably a loss, especially after seeing what they did last week against Alabama. That's five. Arkansas looks a lot better than I expected. Man, that could be six. And now you're talking about a six and six season, potentially. This game is the difference between us talking about Missouri season in a positive and us talking about Missouri season in a negative. It really is that simple to me. Yeah. No, you're right. Six and six is something I'd be comfortable with, but that is assuming that you beat Tennessee, <laughs> right? Yep. North Texas looks terrible. Vanderbilt looks terrible. South Carolina's a bit of a mess. So I'm not saying it's not possible, but ugh, you are making it really, really tight if you can't win this one. The other downer of this is that Boston College basically does everything right. <laughs> like they're not. They're not elite in every category, but they're really freaking good in every single category. Their run game is so good. They hit big plays. They hit the efficiency plays. They do it all. They keep they keep the losses out of the out of the backfield. The passing game is awesome. Has been awesome since last year. They got seven receivers that all get targets in a given game. They can go to anybody that they want. Plus, their tight ends are really freaking good. This offensive line is stout. Um this, I know, again, I know that it's only been a fourth of a season, and I know the competition that they've played. Yes, all true. Okay. Do you know how many times Boston College quarterbacks have been sacked so far this season? Oh, it's not a lot. It's zero. Oh, boy. It's zero. And they've thrown the ball 61 times. They've been blitzed 14 times. And pressure has only reached the quarterback 11 times. <laughs> okay. So this offensive line, regardless of competition has done its job and they've done their job really, really well. Now here's the sense of hope. Mizzou has the eighth highest blitz rate against the pass in the country. Mostly by they have to necessity, mm -hmm. right? But they also have the second best pressure rate in the country of 48.5%. How do you, how do you quantify quarterback pressure? Listener, I don't know. Don't ask me. But I do know that the advanced stats say that they're the second best team at doing it. So let's go with that. Um, I, obviously, it's up to like individual scorekeepers to decide yeah. that. And maybe there's a little bit of home, co home cooking there. I don't know. But point is, 
If we're assuming consistency, Missouri is really good at least generating pressure. And so far, Boston College quarterbacks have not had to deal with a lot of pressure. So you're hoping that Blaze Aldridge gets in there, screws some stuff up, makes him make some bad throws or throws or some quick throws. The secondary can pounce and the running backs get frustrated with a line that can, you know, is not good, but is quite a bit bigger and probably quite a bit meaner than what they're used to. And it just throws them all out of whack and, and creates a couple turnovers that the Missouri offense can capitalize on. And that's what we're banking on. I, I likened this game, Nate, in my post about it to the Purdue matchup back in 2017. Oh geez. Um that that didn't go well. That didn't go well for Mizzou. And and I'm I'm not talking about the way that the results are gonna go. But at that point in time for Mizzou, I think there was some cautious optimism about what Missouri could be that season. Uh Mm -hmm. things did not go well in that game against Purdue. They ended up losing that one thirty-five to three, and there was a lot of wind that came out of the sails of Missouri fans after that because that was coming off of a loss against South Carolina. Then you go into that game that we talked about previously where p- things were burned <laughs> against Auburn <laughs> because they lost 51 to 14. And then a weird Kentucky game with weird calls and everything. And it, then they finally got going down the stretch against bad programs. The typical Barry Odom year, basically. Yep. yep. Um, but that Purdue game, I thought was instructive for the Barry Odom era because you went up against a team that had a brand new head coach in Jeff Brom. Brom was just implementing his program at that point in time. I, th- I think that was his first year, if I'm not mistaken. It was. Yep. And he needed a big program defining win for that season, right? It's what we talked about last year with Eli Drinkwitz getting that win against LSU. Obviously, Mizzou is not at the same level as an LSU, but for Purdue to beat Missouri, that, that's a nice win for them in the first year of the Jeff Brom era. And he ended up having some upsets along the way that season as well. And it was it was very impressive. And then it ended up being kind of an Eli Drinkwitz versus uh, Jeff Brom thing where it was like, hey, why why can't Drinkwitz do what Jeff Brom is doing right now at Purdue? And now we know Jeff Brom has not done particularly well at Purdue. So, you know, things are weird in college football. But the reason that I view it that way is because that felt like a swing in Missouri season back in 2017. And at the time you had the early makings of the Barry Odom era going up against a new coach with a program that shouldn't have really been on the same timeline as Mizzou and Purdue showed out and it ended up being something that looking back, you were like, Oh, we should have known the Barry Odom era was not going to end. Well, mm-hmm. I don't feel the same way about the Eli Drinkwitz era. I want to say that up front. None of us do, but Boston College has a second-year football coach. They're in the early portions of their build there. Mm. Now, they were handed a much better situation than Eli Drinkwitz did at Mizzou. But this is a situation where you've got a peer program that's on a very similar level, especially based on some of the numbers that you look at with SP+. These are basically the same level of team. Mm-hmm. Mizzou needs to go on, go into Boston College and prove that they're the better of the two programs. And that's what's at stake here for me on Saturday is I want to see Missouri against a team that is very similar to them prove that they're the better team and they should be the better team. And if they're as good as I think they can be this year, they're not great, but if they're as good as I think they can be and they have a chance to go seven and five, maybe if everything breaks right, eight and four, well, then they win this game. 
And that that to me is what's on the line on Saturday. And it, it does remind me a little bit of that 2017 matchup against Purdue. But I hope it's on the other direction. 35-3 <laughs> in Missouri's favor as opposed to Boston College. That is interesting. Um, it's an interesting comp. The things that we know about Eli Drinkwood so far, you know, let's say it's it's uh, the 14th game of, of his Missouri career. We know he's a hell of a of a pitch man. He can recruit the daylights out of out of high school kids. He's a pretty good game day manager. He's a good tactician. He has a very good quarterback and he has elite special teams. As of week four, Missouri special teams ranked number one in the nation. Number one. And that's even without, you know, dynamite kickoff and punt returners. So the things that keep games close is good game management, good quarterback play and elite special teams. I feel confident that if the players are in the right headspace and the game plan that they, they drop is good, I feel confident that Eli Drinkwitz can keep this game close. I, I do not fear, let me put it this way, I do not fear a 35-3 pantsing at the hands of Boston College. I'm not afraid of that. Not Same. Even, uh, not even a thought in my mind. I, I don't anticipate that happening. I anticipate a competitive game. I, I I expect it, actually, which is testament to what Drinkwitz has done to me as a Missouri fan. Um, but we've seen Missouri play a team like this, right? Kentucky is currently ranked 58th in the nation, 66th best offense, 46th best defense. What happened? Missouri played kind of a subpar game and still only lost it in the final minute. Boston College has not played a team like this at all of any sort of quality. We don't know how they're going to react in a situation like this. They haven't really had to like scrape and claw and fight for a win. Temple was a lot closer than they anticipated, granted. But they have not had to work incredibly hard so far this season. I I feel good that Missouri can win. I'm not picking them to win. I think it's going to be, you know, 31-28 Boston College. I think it's going to be close late. But if a game is close late, number one, awesome. Number two... I do feel confident that Eli Drinkwitz can pull it out. And that's not something that I've always felt about Missouri football teams. So I'm, I'm strangely confident, even though I'm not picking them to win. Does that make sense? For sure. So, so the thing that's interesting is these are two very similar programs in that regard. Like the thing that I love about Drinkwitz teams, and we've talked about this before, they don't beat themselves very often. Like you're not going to see a bunch of penalties on Mizzou. You're not going to see them, uh, miss a bunch of field goals because they have one of the best kickers in the country. Thicker has been awesome once again this year so mm-hmm. far. Uh, they've got a solid punting team. They're decent. They're solid overall on special teams. Um, they they don't turn the ball over a ton. It's just the stuff that you need to game management. They're very good at their coaching staff does a pretty good job with clock management, decision making, all of those sorts of things. They're the type of team that just they win on the on the edges, on the periphery. And when you do that, if you're able to get a couple of big plays offensively, if you're able to get a sack and a TFL on an important series late, if you're able to kick a field goal that's 52 yards that most teams can't make and you're able to make that and then you flip the field field position wise, like that's the stuff that can win you games like this. So right now in Vegas, Missouri is a one and a half point favorite. I'm a little surprised by that <laughs> on the road. I can't believe that. I can't believe that. The over under is set at 58 and a half. That feels like Vegas is just like, hey, we don't know what to do with this, boys. Uh, mm. Boston College, we have no feel for. Mizzou, we're not really sure. 
I think this is going to be a pretty high scoring game if I had to hmm. guess. Uh, and the reason why is because I'm not sure Missouri is going to be able to get a whole lot of stops. I think this is going to be the type of game where most of the possessions end in a score of some capacity. And I think it could be a low possession game because Boston College is going to want to run it. So that's going to run the clock more often than not. But I, I think I'm going to take Mizzou. I'm going to keep up my homerism act and I hope that it pays off for me this week. I like Mizzou 34 to 31. They eke this thing mm-hmm. out late. They're able to mm-hmm. barely cover the score and it does go over that 58 and a half. Okay. I like it. I like that way better than my prediction. Yeah. Um, it's it, it's just one of those things. Winning on the road is hard Very. in college. You're in pros and college. It's just really hard to do. Um, I went back and I looked at how Missouri has done in you know the past couple of years. If you go back to 2016, Missouri's been eight and 17 on the road. If you if you stretch that to 2015, it's nine and 20. Uh, and that's not just because, you know, I'm not just counting a bad Pinkle team in the Odom years, which just, you know, gesture your hand in that general direction. Right? Last year, Drinkwitz went one and three on the road. And the only road victory he had was a South Carolina team that had given up and fired its coach. Like, that's it. <laughs> like It's it's tough to win on the road. And this team, you know, like Drinkwitz said two weeks ago, is not prepared to go on the road and win a game. They weren't prepared. So... Hopefully they are now. I love your your prediction. I think it's going to be close regardless. I really do. Yeah. Um. So we'll we'll see what happens. But um. Gosh, if we if the Tigers can can keep it close, I feel confident. Even even though they lost the Kentucky game, I still feel confident that if the game is close, I feel like Missouri can still win. And it's the that's, drink that's, magic, man. That's the Eli Drinkwitz magic. Exactly. That's the power of drink. Uh, he, he improves your recruiting and he wins you close games. So <laughs> until proven otherwise, I, he has my full confidence there. So keep it close, give a good showing, be in a position to win it at the end. Uh, that's not an actual W in the column, but that's a W for me. And uh, yeah, I, I would feel very good about the performance. Knowing nothing else, I would feel good about that performance. If that was the situation. Fingers crossed, man. I've got hope. I, I don't know if I have faith, but I have hope. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. I like it. So we'll uh, we'll figure out what happens well, again. Eleven o'clock uh, on Saturday, twelve o'clock Eastern. You don't have to boot up the SEC Network Plus. It's just gonna be it's gonna be on the actual TV. Uh, so that's that's nice. That's refreshing. Uh, and then we'll see how these guys do it. Uh, we'll get their uniform reveal tomorrow because you know it's the new zoo and we don't do things on Friday anymore. <laughs> um, I'm hope God. I'm hoping we wear actual black helmets. That would be nice. But hey, you know what do I know? I'm no fashionista. Uh, but we will see what uh, how they look, how they play. And, of course, BK and I will be back to you after the game and let you know our immediate thoughts for your consumption. But um, I don't know, BK, any any last thoughts before we leave for tonight? I don't think so, man. This is a big one. Uh, this, this one has an outsized performance on what the season expectations are going to be moving forward. I think it will have an outsized importance on how people feel about the season whenever mm-hmm. things are wrapped up. So they they really need a big win in this game. And I hope that if you're a Missouri fan and you're looking at the schedule and you're saying to yourself, ah, oh, Boston College, eh, I'm not really getting up for that one. Uh, th- this should be a fun one. And mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to what's going to be a super competitive game. I'm interested to see what Eli Drinkwitz has up his sleeve. We know when he gets into big games, he's willing to go ahead and just utilize his entire arsenal of play calls. So 
You're going to see a couple of trip, trick plays. You're going to see a couple of shot plays in this one. He's, he's going to empty out the playbook, so I, I can't wait to see what he's got in the book for this one. I can't wait to see what Tyler Beatty does. Mm-hmm. I feel like he's just itching to unload on these guys. So the stupid Jesuits won't know what hit him. But, uh, yeah, that's going to be the show for today. As always, we appreciate the downloads and the subscriptions. You can leave a comment or you can give us a rate. We love all types of feedback. You can follow us on Twitter. I'm at Nate G. Edwards. He is at BK Sports Talk. Of course, you can follow the Rocky and the Flagship at Rocky Nation. And you can listen to BK on the radio at 101 ESPN. We appreciate you tuning in this time. We'll try to be better next time. And until then, how's it? See you again.